It's another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, after five match days ruled by strange, novel feelings of possibility, we are back right in that familiar place that we all understand deeply as Bundesliga fans. FC Bayern München have returned to the top of the league. It's a state of affairs as warm and fuzzy and sometimes as scratchy as an old sweater. Joining me this week, just in time for all of this autumnal talk, is Marie Schulte-Bockham of Focus Online. She's dialing in from Munich, site of perhaps uh, the world's greatest fall festival. Uh, are you much of a Wiesen gal, Marie? Totally, yes. Last week I went four days in a row. Oh my God, that's, that's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I haven't yet been infected by the Wiesen flu, as it's known. So I'm really lucky and just enjoying it a lot, enjoying a lot of visitors, being in the city and the good weather and the good spirits. All right. If you like big beers and schaukeln, I think it's definitely a great city to be in at this time of year. <laughs> this week, we're going to put our focus not only on those boys from Sebenestrasse who have gone back to the league's summit. We're going to talk about Marie's men from Gelsenkirchen. We're going to talk about the perceived malaise among their rivals in yellow and black, the complete breakdown in home form in the Bundesliga this week, and much more. Don't go away. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part of the podcast where we talk about the best of the match day. This match day was match day six. And, you know, we, there's there's quite a few storylines among some of the top teams, the putative title candidates. I think the one that is the most fun to talk about is the one that you will have the most to talk about, Marie. Of course, we've been praising RB Leipzig among the best of the week, week after week on this podcast this season. But this week, it is different. They played host to your guys, to Schalke. And after a strong opening 20 minutes or so in which the Red Bulls could have put themselves up by, a, you know, a goal or two, it was pretty much all Royal Blues from there on out. They ran a really, really great press in this game, which seemed to, you know, sort of jack Leipzig up a little bit. They created a number of really good chances and finished quite a few of them. This was a shockingly dominant performance from Schalke. I mean, we spoke maybe, what was it, after match day one, I think was the last time we had you on. And it was kind of hard to tell at that point whether this whole David Wagner thing was going to work out and whether it was going to be a big success. I take it you probably have an opinion at this point. Definitely. I mean, what a match day for Schalke and what a display. I think the first two matches uh, that Schalke had to open the season, which were away in Gladbach and then home in Bayern, everyone kind of expected them to have zero points. At the end of that, they ended up having one. But then if you look at the program after that, there are some easy opponents that perhaps gave Schalke a flattering standing in the league tables. But then to win 3-1 away in Leipzig at the league leaders uh, and at such a top quality team, I don't think anyone expected that. And also, like you said, the way that the club actually played there, this wasn't a lucky result. This was a very well-deserved scoreline. And the dominance with which Schalke played against Leipzig was incredible to me. I kind of couldn't believe my eyes that these were the same players that played last season. And, you know, in a way, it almost, besides the, you know, we can talk about David Wagner, but it almost credits Christian Heidel again. Sure. <laughs> which I didn't think would happen. But these were nine Christian Heidel players that were playing there, with the exception of Nübel, who was already in the club before and John Joe Kenny, the new signing. And suddenly these players, you know, were real footballers. And I think Abel Mezaros, who I think has been a contributor to the podcast before. Sure, for sure. So one of his tweets, which kind of made me laugh. And he said, you know, suddenly Suat Seada is playing like Julian Brandt. And I mean, Arit is playing like Neymar. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> he is a man who loves some, uh, you know, humorous hyperbole. Although it's, you know, it's, it's getting it's getting getting a little closer these days. Yeah, and I, I would add Omar Mascarel, who's becoming you know an incredible number six, which I did not expect to have happened. And he's another player who just seems to you know be a sensitive personality, and who's suddenly having his second coming under Wagner. He's now the third captain in the club and a regular starter, and running twelve or thirteen kilometers every day. He's frequently in the top three runners in the Bundesliga. 
And it's really incredible that Schalke is playing such different football. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Omar Mascarel and his, uh, you know, supposed sensitivity. There's been quite a lot of talk about uh, Amin Arit. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that he is a pretty sensitive guy and that he had uh, a really hard time last season after a sort of, you know, personal tragedy prior to the season starting and he kind of went off the rails. I noticed that you, a, a couple of weeks ago, wrote a piece for Focus Online, which sort of tried to zoom in on how Wagner was attempting to sort of bring a little bit of wind back into some of these guys' sails who had maybe spent a year feeling either rejected by their clubs or, or sort of let down for, for other reasons. And I thought it was kind of interesting that it, it was as simple as it was. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Even in the research for that piece, it was things which you kind of expect every coach nowadays to do, like taking a player um, to the side and speaking to them one-on-one, uh, defending the players in public against the press, things that, you know, you really wish that every coach did, but I guess that wasn't necessarily the case last year. I think at the end under Tedesco, some things happened that were, you know, perhaps a bit too much, like when three players were suspended, Mark Oud uh, and Amin Arit among them. And I think it was Hamza Mendil was the third one. Bentaleb spent some time suspended as well. Last yeah. Year. <laughs> yeah. And there was no, um, those players all said in the subsequent months that no reason was given to them by the coach at the time. And these are things that I think can really eat away at a player. And it's, it's good that suddenly, you know, you have a coach who, of course, must have known about all these things and must have known about the reputation of someone like Arid with disciplinary acts and everything and still gives these players such a chance and such backing. And they're really clearly repaying the favor because we, we knew that Amin Arid is a great footballer. He was rookie of the year in his first season. At the time, he, I mean, he won that award, if you want to call it that, against Sebastian Alea and Jaden Sancho who in the subsequent season had, you know, breakout seasons that put them into the European elite. And I mean, Arid, um, you know, kind of dropped off the horizon for, for different reasons. But, you know, we knew that the class was there. So I think in a way it's, it's just injecting these players with the confidence again and giving them the tools. David Wagner said at the end of the Leipzig game that at the end he could see lactate spilling out of the eyes of his players. <laughs> which was kind of a, a great hyperbole and a good way to speak of it because Schalke is suddenly running so much more than they did in the previous season as well. And that's just one way to exert control over clubs that perhaps have more footballing quality among their ranks like Leipzig. Yeah, is that, in your mind, uh, having watched this game, kind of the secret to Schalke's success? I mean, Leipzig had only lost eight times at home in, in all the years that they've been in the top flight, which granted is not a great number of years, but still, that that's quite a small number of losses at home. But, you know, Schalke, as I said, after that first 20 minutes or so when Leipzig were, were looking to have their way, they seemed to figure them out and they seemed to just, you know, kind of rattle them. I mean, how did they make this look as easy as it was? I think one aspect was pace. And that's actually another genius move by Wagner to bring Rebi Matondo, yep. who mm -hmm. I believe this, these were his first minutes in the season, definitely his first start. I think he might have had a sub appearance early on, but yeah, definitely first start. Yeah, definitely his first start. And that was very clever to bring on such a fast player against Leipzig, who always have a very high defensive line. And so it, if Schalke was able through their press to acquire the ball in Leipzig's half, they, and this happened, you know, three or four times. And the first times Matondo had no chance against uh, Upamecano because Upamecano is just so much bigger than him. But then, you know, there were two times where through his sheer pace and skill, Matondo was able to get away. And on one of those occasions, he scored. And, you know, it was little things like that, little tweaks, little tactical bits that really allowed Schalke to exert their dominance. Another strength kind of from years past, which is suddenly resurfacing, is this bit about dead balls. So corner kicks, and free kicks and penalty kicks where Schalke suddenly being their old selves again. You know, that's how they scored the 1-0. And Salif Sani for him, it was the second header goal of the season. So it's, it's also little bits like that where suddenly everything that made Schalke strong two years ago when they became runners-up in the Bundesliga, those things are coming up again. Yep. 
Yeah. It is strange whenever anyone brings up that fact that just two seasons ago, this was uh, one of the strongest sides in the Bundesliga, considering what kind of a nightmare year they had in the past. But that's that's just kind of life, Alf Schalke, as, as I'm sure <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd club, and it's a club that, where people always speak about das Umfeld, so the surroundings, and it's notoriously and perhaps infamously one of the most emotional clubs in Germany. And when things don't go well, it very quickly turns into a downward spiral. Also, it, you know, it's one of the only clubs besides Dortmund and Bayern that kind of has a national press focus. And that can be a lot of pressure when things don't go well. And in, you know, if you flip that, now that things are going well, perhaps that gives the players an extra push to have that fan support where players, you know, frequently meet fans when they're out and about and get pats on the back. <laughs> I think that that can definitely be a factor as well. I also want to talk a little bit about some of the individual players. Someone that I think doesn't get mentioned enough is Suat Seada, yep. who's having an incredible breakout season. And he, you know, started even in the end of last season, of course, under Hope Stevens, he started showing some of his qualities and he's really becoming that dynamic number eight, which Schalke has been missing since Leon Goretzka's departure. You know, someone who has a little bit of creative flair, but also the pace and the understanding of the game to create something from the middle of the field. Yeah. And he's really connecting the defense and the attack in a way that I didn't necessarily see at Schalke last season, where there was much more rotation in midfield as well. So... That's someone who I think has really thrived under Wagner as well. Yeah, I think that's actually a really great setup that they have right now with with Mascarell sort of being the holding midfielder and then putting two eights in front of him with, with Serdar and McKinney, because that's really what both of those guys are sort of built to do. They are sort of, you know, pretty, I mean, McKinney's probably a bit more mobile and probably a little bit less of a scoring threat, although maybe he can add that to his game down the road. But you know, what Serdar did, I, I guess, in that the, the Mites game, the one nil that he made, that the run that he made that Arit was able to pick out and he just sort of finished off with great aplomb. I mean, that was a that was a Goretzkian type of goal, the kind of way that he, he read the game to sort of see that, you know, it, in fact, it's not the striker who's going to be making this run. It's going to be me. And, and you know, if, if there's a guy in the half space on the left there and, and someone needs to get on that ball, it's going to be me. And I think it's great to see a, a midfielder sort of make that leap. Definitely, definitely. And then, of course, I mean, you brought him up. Weston McKenney is still very much Weston McKenney. You can throw him in anywhere. Yeah. In this match, he started as kind of like a right winger, <laughs> where again, you know, I was like, what is he doing there? And somehow he pulled it off and Schalke played kind of like a diamond in the middle of the field with McKenney more in that half right space and Arit on the half left. And it worked. It worked really well. And yeah, if only McKenney added, like you mentioned, a little bit of goal scoring danger to his game, then you know, he would be even more beneficial to Schalke. But who knows, Even perhaps even that will come as the season continues. A word or two about uh, John Joe Kenny, who is a player that, uh, you know, certainly Bundesliga fans had, had, had zero exposure to prior to this season. But basically, he was put straight into the side from match day one. He looks to be exactly the guy that they need there at, at, at right back. And he's, you know, combines really well with the other Kenny, <laughs> McKenny who's playing in front of him quite a lot, and they are often uh, combining down that right side. I mean, this has been one of the, the, the stories of the, of the season for Schalke, to get a player who really was not a terribly heralded uh, addition to the squad and have him hit the ground running and, and really look good. I agree. He's been pretty much from the first match day kind of a Schalke fan favorite, just because of the way he plays. is very much appreciated in that region. He's a very hardworking player who runs up and down the flank pretty much non-stop, you know, has a horse's lung, as you like to say in Germany. And he just looks very at ease. He looks like he's happy to be in the squad, fits in with the team. And he does have the ability to play a good pass, even from out back, sometimes play that flat pass, uh, that flat ball to set up play. So he's been a really good addition. I, I don't think that Schalke will be able to keep him. I read some interviews and... He's kind of an Everton local boy whose dream it was always to play for Everton. So I do think that at the end of the season, he will likely go back to England. 
But for the time being, you know, he's he's a right back in a position which is notoriously hard to strengthen a team in because, you know, the fullbacks is, are always a tough position in European football. So I think Schalke got really lucky and I don't know, perhaps it was also Wagner's connections or Wagner's reputation in England that allowed Schalke to make that signing. Yeah, yeah. Well, even if it's only one season for the John, Joe, Kenny, and Schalke fan romance, I, I think it's going to be uh, a pretty hot and heavy one uh, moving forward. Let's actually leave Schalke behind now. Let's uh, let's talk about Bayern. They are at back at the top of the Bundesliga, and and it's a little feels a little odd that we're saluting them for that return after a performance in Paderborn, which was just kind of strange. I mean, they they were. Hugely dominant in this game. It was a 3-2 win in the end, in part because (laughs) Paderborn scored an absolutely unholy uh, goal to uh, sort of make it 3-2. That was was Jemilu Collins' goal from, I don't know how many uh, meters out, probably 25, 28 meters or something along those lines. It was getting a bit comical, however, all the chances that were going wanting for Bayern in this game. Is this a performance? Obviously, it's good to go back to the top of the league. It's good to get three points, no matter how you do it. But is this a performance that sort of instills a lot of confidence in you? Or is this just sort of, you know, the thing that happens sometimes? I think this game was quite sloppy, actually. I think sloppy is the word I would use. If you look at Lewandowski's first chance, I think after nine minutes, where he missed the open goal. Yep. And then... How do you let Paderborn come back? You know, how do you let it... Really, for the last five minutes, there was a chance that this was going to be a draw, you know, that they were going to leave points in Paderborn, so to speak. So I, I'm i still a little skeptical because I, in no Bundesliga game this season, not even against Cologne, despite the scoreline, was Bayern dominant over 90 minutes. There have always been spells of like 10 minutes here, maybe 15 minutes there, where they've let the opponent back into the game. And this is something that Kimmich actually mentioned uh, after the final whistle as well, where he criticized the team a little bit for letting Paderborn come back and said that sometimes they have to focus more. And I wonder if perhaps they just, with the exception of Leipzig, haven't had an opponent strong enough to challenge them properly yet for that to be mitigated as as an issue. So I hope... I mean, I'm I'm really curious to see how they'll present themselves against Tottenham. I think that will be a real test because, yes, they're leaders now in the Bundesliga again, but I don't think they're playing title-worthy football yet. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, we've seen we've seen dips from Dortmund and now from from Leipzig certainly this week, just as we have seen dips from from Bayern. It's going to be real interesting. Since that game, the Leipzig game that you just mentioned, where they were sort of challenged over 90 minutes, and it was a game that they certainly dominated the first half of, but but the second half was a very different story. I'm very interested to see. This is the first, you know, Bayern group stage Champions League game that I've been very excited about in a while, because usually, <laughs> usually either they're sort of already rounding into form, or they've got an easy group, and it's just not very interesting to see them beat a Greek team or whatever. I'm very interested to see what they make of, of a Tottenham side, which has not had the strongest start to the season, but still just talent-wise is, is probably, you know, going to be at least as good as, as Leipzig. Yeah, yeah. And also I'll be interested to see Coutinho and how he measures up against such a quality team because he's very quickly like winning hearts in Munich here. Um, even just from a, I don't know if it's just a commercial aspect, but when you walk around Munich now, there are giant posters of him everywhere because, of course, he's such a magnet for like the internationalization of Bayern. But in the press and among the fans, he's already kind of heralded as like the savior, as this creative genius who they've been waiting for. And he's definitely shown that flair in certain parts of his game, mm-hmm. but there have also been stray passes. I remember against Cologne, there are at least five stray passes, which were a little, um, yeah, where he was a little bit unfocused. So I think there's definitely room even for him to improve. And I'm really curious to see how he'll perform against a stronger team with with this Tottenham tie coming up. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see why people have taken to him as quickly as they have, because 
I don't know. Let's face it. Bayern have been a very, very good team over the last decade, but they haven't always had attacking players with that sort of, I don't know, imagination and audacity that a player like Coutinho does. I mean, just looking at that that lofted ball that he he you know played Gnabry in with for the for the one nil goal in this game, or some of the times when he, in which he would try and bring a ball down and and one time it into the path of another player with a great deal of style. I mean. He's he's playing tons of of cool through balls, you know, line breaking balls. This is not always stuff that you get from a sort of one man show at at Bayern Munich. This is it's not necessarily the, the the common culture at that club. And and I can see how having a player that has that bit of magic would feel really fun <laughs> at a at a team for them. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, that assist, the ball in for Gnabry was just gorgeous, such a sleek touch. And yeah, he is a very silky player. And I think you're right in terms of this type of player has been missing. I, I would say there have been other players who through individual quality have kind of gotten the imagination going. Ribéry for many years, you know, had some incredible personal actions on the pitch, but he was always on the wings. Yep. And, you know, for him, it was always dribbling and Coutinho has that vision and those passes. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited that he's here. And I'm really excited about the way he is already combining with Lewandowski. I think that will really help Bayern against strong sides. And that's definitely, I mean, that combination play is great for the Bundesliga in terms of really showing the quality of the league to the outside world. So, yeah, like you said, I too am really looking forward to the match against Tottenham more so than perhaps the usual Bayern matches against that they've had in the past years against Borisov and all of these type of smaller clubs where it's very one-sided. Yeah, speaking quickly of Lewandowski before we leave Bayern and this topic behind, I guess this is now just sort of creeping up on us because things have gone so incredibly well for him to start this season. And as you said, the, the Coutinho to Lewandowski combo is, is going really well. I mean, it seems to me that like he's going to basically set Lewandowski up with, you know, two or three very, very good chances in almost every game. And a finisher like him is, is likely to, to put away a good number of them. I mean, he's got, he scored in every game in this season this far. He's already got 10 goals and it could have been 11 had he not given a penalty away to, to Coutinho nice guy that he is. There could be a very interesting storyline coming down the pike if this keeps up. I mean, we could actually get into a chasing Gerd Müller situation from from Lewandowski, which would be a really thrilling, thrilling sort of second storyline behind whatever's going on with the title race. Yeah, this is something that would be absolutely incredible. Those 40 goals in one season, everyone kind of thought that that was an unreachable mark. And now here is Lewandowski with 10 goals. Is it 10 goals after six matches? Yeah. So he's definitely on track (laughs) if this continues. I think it will come down to Lewandowski's goal rate in matches against the likes of Paderborn and Union Berlin and Mainz. No disrespect to those teams, but these are the type of matches where Bayern on a good day can score five to seven goals. And if Lewandowski manages to get a few hat-tricks in matches like this, then Nothing speaks against breaking that record, although it it would be an absolutely utopian achievement, especially because the Bundesliga over the years has become a harder league, a more even league than it was in in that time. So, yeah, 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 I mean, if he does that, then respect, (laughs) respect to him. Absolutely. I mean, considering those sort of uh, those years when he and uh, Aubameyang were were sort of dueling for the Torjega Canona, already produced some big numbers. I mean, Lewandowski's put up 30 in 15-16. Aubameyang put up 31 the year after that. And that was the first time anybody had cracked 30 since the 70s. So, I mean, even if he just scored another 30, it would be a pretty huge achievement. But man, if, if, if Coutinho keeps feeding him like this, I, I, I think and he stays healthy, I think it's definitely in play. Yeah, just now that we're raving about Lewandowski, a quick word about him being healthy. I mean, what an achievement for a player to never be out injured. Yeah. And I do think oh, that man. has something to do with lifestyle. That's not just pure luck over so many years. That does have something to do with preparation and the professionalism with which he lives. 
in Lewandowski's case. He's married to uh, Poland's leading fitness guru. Yeah, you know, credit to her. This are, these are all aspects that really play a big role, you know, what you eat at home and how you keep in, in shape when you're not playing. So, yeah, I mean, again, well done to Lewandowski in that sense and very lucky for Bayern because... We, we know that they don't have a spare central striker. So, you know, it's unimaginable what would happen if Lewandowski gets injured in that crucial season time in March, April, when, as they like to say in Munich, a little bit arrogantly, the season starts. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I, I think that probably won't happen because it hasn't uh, in the past year. And Lewandowski is in better form than ever. Yep. Yeah, I actually would love to see it happen, considering the career that that uh, he has had, not only at Bayern but at Dortmund. I mean, what a he's going to go down already as one of the all-time greats in the Bundesliga. And if he were to, you know, even come close to matching that record, he would have to be thought of as, you know, maybe the very top. Yeah. Anyway, let's now talk about the uh, the other team who sort of was in the title conversation to start the season. They, are, of course, are still in the title conversation. Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. It is Borussia Dortmund. They got a two two draw at home to Werder Bremen. They were already sort of roasted by the football punditocracy in in Germany last week after they uh, you know allegedly showed some some deficiencies in in mentality or maybe they didn't according to marco royce or maybe the, now they have because they've done it again i mean eintracht frankfurt snatched that late 2-2 draw in frankfurt last weekend in a game that dortmund mostly dominated and you know oops they they did it again it's uh you know this time it was at home this time i feel like Werder bremen at least in the second half were very game and very sort of canny in the way that they're playing this game but it definitely feels like a familiar situation. I know that you're maybe you're, you're Schadenfreude, maybe flaring up right now as a Schalke fan, but let's be deliberate about this. Why is it that Beifau Bay are having so much trouble converting their dominance e- either over 90 minutes or, or in the phases in which they look unstoppable, which, let's face it, two or three times a game for 10, 15 minutes at a stretch, it looks like they're just going to devour their opponents, but they're just not piling up the points like they should be. Yeah, firstly, I, I don't think, I think of, in terms of my views on Dortmund, I think Schadenfreude is never really something that I use to look at them because I really appreciate the way they play football and I'm, I'm very happy how they've been able to challenge Bayern as really the only club over the last eight years. So I definitely have a lot of respect and admiration for Dortmund's brand of football. But yeah, it, it's really quizzical how they've almost collapsed these past few games. And like you said, it, it's hard to find one answer. I don't think mentality is it because these players all are committed to the most utmost success and they've all very publicly said this before the season start. I think at times it's a lack of focus in certain situations, including dead balls. This is something that oddly has been a problem for them for, you know, many, many months now, including last season where they don't set up properly for corner kicks, for free kicks. And this is how Bremen scored against them again. So I think that's one issue. Also, sometimes I have to criticize Lucien Favre because I, I don't think that I think sometimes in critical matches, he's not that talisman on the side who can give them that extra grit. I think he's, I saw this in the Amazon documentary as well, which I watched about them, the Inside Borussia Dortmund documentary. And he's an incredible coach, you know, one of the best coaches in Germany, if not Europe, a tactical mastermind. His his weakness, I would say, is sometimes in reaching the players on another level, as a motivator, as a communicator, in in a way that Jurgen Klopp did it fantastically in Dortmund with with lesser squads, you know, in years past. So it's a tough one. I think there are so many factors that that are into play. I don't think there's one easy answer. And I, I think the players are also at a bit of a loss at the moment. 
Yeah, it's funny because they really are trying a lot of things. I mean, I don't want to say that this was a uh, a weakened side or or a sort of a B squad, but they definitely Five definitely tried to give a couple of guys who he hadn't given a lot of time to, which is to say Mario Goetze and uh, Mo Dahoud, a run in the side. They both played well, actually. Goetze scored. Dahoud came very close to scoring and and sort of covered a lot of ground and made a lot of nice passes, but still they couldn't get the result. It's is this. I hesitate to, to to say that they are just simply unlucky because you know that's something that's that's sort of a so what what do you do with that? But at some point, sometime these these chances that they are wasting are going to start to go in. Yeah, yeah, and I think honestly, now that you say it, unlucky might just be the best explanation <laughs> given some of these score lines as well. You know, two two could have easily been three one if you've watched the match. And the same can be said for the match against Frankfurt. So it could just be a, a run of poor luck. And I, I do think that, yeah, giving Götze a run, you know, showed that Favre has, you know, that was a really, really good idea to show this player that he's still valued. And of course, Götze really made the most of it. So these are all things that may help Dortmund down the road, that the players are kind of being kept content I also am still kind of waiting for Torgan Azar to really show what he's capable of because I think, you know, he hasn't been bad. I'm not sure also... that this isn't what he's capable of, Marie. <laughs> I just I just think for Gladbach, I saw some Gladbach matches last season where he was by far the best player on the pitch. And I mean, really a one-man show. And this season, he's... He's a midlife, as we say. You know, he's just running along. He's not really sticking out, having a few good passes here and there, but he's never had an impact on the match like a Jaden Sancho or a Marco Royce has had. And I do think he's in a, a very much an above-average Bundesliga player. So I, I'm waiting on him to really settle in as well. And I think that could also benefit Dortmund and perhaps make them a bit better in weeks and months to come. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did set up uh, Royce's goal for the second Dortmund goal, but there are still way too many errant crosses, way too many, you know, sort of pointless shots from distance, way too many times where he just tries to take the ball a little bit deeper than he should and ends up losing it. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, when you're a 21 or a 22-year-old, people are, are, you know, understanding about, but not at his age. It's just, you know... It's not good enough anymore. So I think he needs to be a bit more judicious starting now. Yep, I agree. Anything about Bremen, who were certainly, I, I think, you know, they're they're proving a lot in getting results like this right now. I mean, we've talked a ton about all their injury problems, and they are still sort of, you know, Elmer's glue and popsicle sticks, uh, <laughs> putting these these back lines together, uh, including Nuri Shaheen, who is who is turning into a fairly capable center back. Uh, the more the more he gets played there, <laughs> um, you know, Josh Sargent contributed a bit more to this game. He was probably started out the season as second or third choice uh, uh, striker, and he he's looking better. He set up that second goal for them with a nice sort of glancing header. But really, the return of Milot Rashica to me, is what made this this performance, this game work. I mean, that first goal doesn't work with anybody else playing in that position with that speed and that, that you know, level of finishing. I'm thinking that now that they have him back in the fold, a lot of things are going to take care of themselves. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you also picked out Sargent because I was going to mention him. I thought this was a very mature, you know, very mature match because he's such a young player that you can really tell with him how much he's learning from game to game. Mm-hmm. Because his positioning is getting a lot better. he His interplay with the players around him, which is really tough, considering that he's always playing along a different striker, seemingly. And even just watching the highlights from the second half, because I was only able to watch the first half fully, he's really adding something to their offense. So I think I'm really curious to see how he'll develop. And I think he this was one of his stronger matches. And he combined quite nicely with Rashica. Yep, yep. I mean, obviously, it's a terrible thing for Niklas Füllkrug to tear his ACL and miss the season, but it's probably going to turn to, out to be a great thing for Josh Sargent to have one less guy competing with him for minutes as this season goes on, because now I'm thinking that as long as they are in the mood to play, you know, two guys up front, he's probably going to be one of them. Yep. 
Yeah. And then Benjamin Goller came on at the end as a super sub. And I think that, again, just showed Bremen's injury concerns because he was a player from Schalke's youth who transferred to Bremen this season because he really wouldn't have had much of a future at Schalke. And he's he's a talented player, very technical player, kind of like a winger, but he's very much physically not yet ready for the Bundesliga. And here he almost scored a goal. He had an, a really nice uh, long shot that was just deflected over the woodwork. And I mean, what a story that would have been at this, you know, at the score of 2-2 of an ex-Schalke boy <laughs> were to score the winner for Bremen and Dortmund. I just thought I would add that as a little detail because it shows that in a squad like this, when there are injuries, there, there are players who kind of really want to use their opportunity and step up a bit. Yes, indeed. And let's wrap up part one of Talking Foosball and we will come back in just a moment with the rest of Match Day 6. Okay, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day. This is not to say that everything else, you know, is not good. It's just not the best. Let's start with Dusseldorf and Freiburg. This was the first game on Sunday. It ended with a 2-1 win for Freiburg. Freiburg are now back up to third in the table after this win. Luka Waldschmidt scored a really nice winner with nine minutes left to tip the scales in their favor. That's his third goal on the season. Marie, we have talked a lot about the soft schedule that Freiburg has really made the most of to start the season and, and fair play to them. You can not you can only take on the tasks uh, you've been given. But in the next six match days, they have Dortmund at home. They have Union away. Not very easy playing at that stadium. Leipzig at home. Bremen away. Frankfurt at home. And Leverkusen away. <laughs> How many points are they going to get out of those six games? Oh, wow. Uh, you're really putting me on the spot there. But I would... <laughs> I would say maybe between four and six if they're lucky. Well, look, I think they've done an incredible job. Every season, seemingly, everyone kind of predicts them to go down and somehow through Streich's genius and uh, youth players that no one really had on their radar, they play a nice football and stay up. And this season is that, but on steroids. <laughs> and somehow they're now third, but I think we all know that this is not going to stay this way. I think for them it's fantastic because these are points that will really help them towards the tail end of the season. But yeah, I, I don't see them as being consistently in the in the top third as the season continues. Yep, yep. I, I will actually go with you with four to six points as what they'll get if they're lucky. And if they're not, I could see them getting, you know, two or one point from that run. I think it could be a real, real tough time uh, ahead for Freiburg. But that's okay. That's okay. They've, they've piled up the points so far. Let's see. We got uh, a series of, of, you know, big wins for away sides. And, you know, I guess that's not really too surprising considering it was, what, eight away wins and one draw in the league this week, which is uh, the first time that has ever happened in the Bundesliga. Uh, the first of those those big away wins that I was going to mention was Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach, who went to Zinsheim to take on Hoffenheim, and uh, they won 3-0. Alisson Plea, Marcus Turam, and Florian Neuhaus all got on the board. Hoffenheim, they have failed to score in their fourth straight game in the Bundesliga, which, if you know anything about the way Hoffenheim have played over the last few years, is insane. Did Julian Nagelsmann just take all of the offense with him to Leipzig, or what's going on? Yeah, of course, in a way he did. He's such an incredible coach, and this is showing that on another level, as is uh, what's happening in Leipzig with the exception of the Schalke game. But I think it's a little hard to just pin it all on the coach you know they've also lost Joe Linton this summer who scored a lot of goals last season and generally they had I think a big transfer summer you know they brought in some guys who need a bit more time including Scoff who they brought in from Denmark and Sebastian Rudi who's back but has actually been playing quite well but yeah I think it's very concerning for a, a team like Hoffenheim that is known for attacking football to have such an unflattering goalless streak. So it's going to be really hard for Schröder. And I, I hope that he can get some good results. Otherwise, he may be one of the first coaches to go. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 weird. It's, it's almost like 
with a club like Hoffenheim, with all the stuff that surrounds that club, which is to say not much, kind of, you know, a, a small catchment area, a small number of members, a small number of fans, and uh, a business model, which I think a lot of fans think is, is, is a bummer. If you aren't playing attacking, exciting football, it's kind of like, what are you doing here, guys? Um, <laughs> could you just get out? You're, 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 you're harshing our buzz here. So, yeah, I think they need to get things sorted out just for the sort of health of the club moving forward because it, it, it's, it's just no fun having a team like that in the Bundesliga who can't score goals. Yeah, yeah, and I just come to think of it, you know, they've lost Demirbay and Amiri as well. And I think Demir by last season was one of the best midfielders in the Bundesliga. Such a creative player who really set up so many goals, including that like second to last pass instead of just the assist. And really structurally, there's just there are too many changes there. And I think they would be happy if the season were to start maybe at Christmas for them to prepare a bit more. But unfortunately, we are already very much underway. So yeah, a little bit concerning, a little bit worried about Hoffenheim at the moment. For sure. Uh, another big win away from home for Leverkusen uh, against Augsburg, another 3-0 win, in fact. We've had a lot of praise for Florian Niederlechner's fast start. Uh, he's had three goals and two assists through five games. And this week he added another to his tally. Although it was at the wrong end of the pitch, he opened the scoring with an own goal that went in, in Leverkusen's favor. Kevin Folland and Kai Havertz added two more to keep Leverkusen's unbeaten record against Augsburg all-time intact. Yeah, they're, Leverkusen are hosting Leipzig next week. And, you know, while they have beaten all the softer sides that they have, have faced in the league this season, or, or not lost anyway, they were, of course, walloped by Beifau Bay on match day four. Are you expecting any chance of improvement for uh, Leverkusen this next time that they uh, have to face a true quality opposition? Nope. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just, <laughs> I, I know how Peter Bosch plays. And I mean, it's wonderful football to watch if you're not a Leverkusen fan because it's just flat out attack. If you are a Leverkusen fan, you know, I think it's not very good for your heart rate. But Against a team like Leipzig, I think this could be a very high-scoring match. I don't want to say that Leverkusen are definitely going to lose, but I think they're definitely going to concede. And at the same time, they're a team that usually scores at least one, if not two goals per game. So I think this could be a really attractive match for us to look forward to. I wanted to mention something about Niederlechner as well. Sure. The Sky reporter, so the German TV reporter, at the end of the match, asked him, because like you said, he's had such a good start to the season, if he's also going to have a bonus for this goal that he scored, for his own goal. Wow. Which I thought was such a cheeky question to ask, because <laughs> uh, I think it's quite common across the board in Europe now, but in for many clubs, you get you know an extra monetary award for scoring a goal or for scoring an assist. And I guess you know he's been adding to his bank account in that sense but then with an own goal I, I don't know I thought that was a little bit rude and uh, Niederlechner seems to have agreed because he just very much with a straight face said that he can't laugh at that and then it kind of turned into a very awkward TV moment but yeah I think I thought perhaps for the international listeners who couldn't watch that on German TV oh man um <laughs> it was a good thing to mention. Yeah, awkward TV moments. Uh, I'm I'm all for them uh, because that's just you know it adds a little spice to the Bundesliga experience. Another big away win this week came from Hertha BSC. They were four nil winners in Cologne. Yeah, they got a second victory on the trot while not looking all that stylish doing it. I mean, this was certainly not a, an undeserved win, not by any means, but uh, it was not a sort of imperious performance. It was more of an effective one, which I guess so be it. Javira Dilrosson had another great strike. Uh, this one was from outside the box as opposed to a uh, mazy dribble. And we had a, a couple of poachers goals from substitute Vera Ibisevic, one of them coming with his first touch on the pitch after less than a minute of being on that said pitch, as well as an exclamation point of a goal from Dedrick Boyata. Cologne's Jorge Moray was sent off in a VAR yellow card revised to red card situation. Marie Cologne, this is actually their second 4-0 loss in a row. They are now second bottom with a, an absolutely frightening minus 11 goal difference after six games. 
What do you think has gone wrong for the Billy Goats? Is this just a, a moment of, of madness from them? Or are they sort of maybe in some real trouble? This is the club that perhaps has surprised me the most in a negative sense because I watched a lot of Cologne matches last season when they were in the second Bundesliga. And they really were always very dominant, played attacking football, had a lot of quality up front, a lot of goal-scoring potential. And I kind of thought that they would breeze through this first season back in the Bundesliga, maybe end up in 10th place, 12th place, something like that. And it now looks like they really have an upward battle to stay in the league. So it's it's been a little bit shocking to me. I can't quite explain what's going wrong there. I think they have had times where they've played well, such as the first half against Borussia Dortmund a few weeks ago, where they dominated Dortmund, which now seems odd to say, given recent displays. But yeah, I, I struggle to find explanations with with their football at the moment. It's It's really hard to watch. Yep. And the other thing is, is after this game, after they went down 1-0, after having probably had the better of things for maybe the first 25 minutes, half an hour or so, and then going down a man to that really pretty wild challenge from Murray, the wheels just came off of this team. I, I feel like they had a brief moment early in the second half where they believed they, they were still in this game. But certainly when it, they went 2-0 down, they just sort of absolutely folded. They looked like they had sort of lost interest in sticking around in this game. It was it was it was not pretty. Hertha on the other side of things. This has been an absolutely weird season for this team. Results certainly suggest that they have turned the corner, but we haven't really seen the switch toward that that more positive, expansive style of attacking soccer that was sort of promised in the offseason. Does that matter at all as long as the results keep going their way? Or perhaps is that in their future if they can get a bit more self-confidence? Yeah, I wouldn't say the short-term future. I think maybe the second half of the season or a little bit later once they've really found themselves and kind of left that lower region of the Bundesliga table, if, if they are to do so, then you can talk about playing better football. I think they're really missing Anamaya. I think he's a, a very important player for them. But yeah, I've been a little bit disappointed with Hertha this season because last season there were matches where they did play very nice football. And, you know, they they do have the quality. They have Grujic, uh, they now have Luka Bakio. They have some really interesting footballers among them. And I think especially last match day against Paderborn, you know, they really should have lost that match. That was just pure luck. So now, yeah, maybe they've found some of the, those points and that will help them. But I, I kind of expect them to, to play a bit better as the season continues. Yep, yep, I do too. And I, I see, at least in the next game before the international break, another quite winnable game for them coming up. They are at home to uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf. And, and truthfully, for Cologne, I see the, 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 the trend also continuing. They are away to Schalke and there's only going to be one way that's going to go if those two teams play the way they have recently. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Let's see. We had a couple more uh, away wins yep. in, in our torrent of away wins to, to round out the match day. Wolfsburg got a 1-0 win against Mainz. Probably a bit, a bit fortunate, that one. Marcel Tisserand's early goal was enough for them to you know take all three points in that one and keep that unbeaten record they have intact. Mainz, you know, Frustrated by some some errant finishing, they actually had the uh, the expected goals advantage in this game. Are you either convinced by Wolfsburg uh, as being particularly good, or, or convinced by Mites as being particularly bad? Because they've had a real real bear of an early season. No, I don't think that Mites was particularly bad. I think they have one of the strongest squads among those clubs battling relegation. I don't know necessarily why they only have three points I think it's going to get better but uh, even against Schalke you know on a different day they could have beaten Schalke there are definitely moments where that match could have turned that Schalke ended up winning 2-1 last match day and Wolfsburg who knows I think you know they had a really good start to the season and with a bit of luck they could end up in sixth space or even fifth but I don't see them as a Champions League contender so I think they, they would be very happy to qualify the, for the Europa League, but I, I don't think there's more for them in store. Yep, yep. I see them, you know, they're in seventh place right now in that big, big pileup of teams all on, you know, 12, 13, 14 points in the league. 
and I, I think seventh place is going to be probably around where they just hang out all season. And that's that's a great place for them to be because they haven't always lived up to their potential in recent years. Let's talk lastly about uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and Erste FC Union Berlin. <laughs> that was a, another another away win. That was a 2-1 win for Eintracht. We had the uh, the new strike partnership of, of uh, Frankfurt in full effect. Bas Dost and Andre Silva both scoring in this Friday night encounter, which has got to be a bit of a bummer for Union fans because this was, you know, a game that they could maybe have gotten a bit more out of. But I'm, I'm actually finding it quite encouraging for them because it showed again that, you know, they can host a good team at that stadium and really give them a hard time and maybe get a result. Uh, any, any thoughts about either of these two sides? Just one, and that would be that I was really, really impressed with Andre Silva. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it, for me, it's just incredible because three, four, five years ago, a player of that quality would never in a million years have signed for Frankfurt. And it's really, you know, congratulations to Bobic, to Adi Hütter, to all the guys last season and even in part to Niko Kovac for the season before because that club has really turned itself around and become so much more than a grey mouse of the Bundesliga, you know, as we say in Germany. They're, they're no longer that kind of like mousy club. They've now, they're now a very proud club, a very successful club that plays good football where players can develop extremely well. And Andre Silva has added another quality to that. I think he's a very fun player to watch, someone who has a really good first touch and moves very well. And I'm excited to see how he can fill that huge, huge void up front um, that was left by the departure of Alea, Ribic and Jovic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they've got an interesting thing going there at Eintracht with Portuguese players and players who have, have been in the Portuguese league, not only with, with uh, Silva and, and Paciencia, who are, you know, from that country, but, you know, Bastost and Jovic. I mean, the word is clearly out among both uh, players in that league and Portuguese players that this is not a bad place to raise your profile and maybe maybe get to play some some European nights in front of 40,000 traveling fans. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very interesting observation because there are clubs that manage in this very heated transfer market to kind of build a reputation in one region. Yep. Mm -hmm. Another example would be Mainz with all the French players that they've brought in from the second and first French division. So if, you know, Frankfurt can offer that for Portuguese talents or players that are playing in the Portuguese league, then that can only help them in the future. That's all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced as it always is by Aidan Rantoul. It is great to have you back on this podcast, Marie. I hope you'll continue to be a regular guest. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for having me. And I hope there'll be many more occasions of such high-flying match days for my personal favorite team for you to invite me back on. <laughs> oh, I know. Whenever we have moments of Schalke euphoria, uh, I know exactly who to get in touch with. You can follow Marie on Twitter at Marie Schubo. You can read her work if you read German on Focus Online. If you want to reach out to me, of course, you can do that on Twitter as well at Mr. Matt Herman. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating, if you please. Talking Foosball Fantasy, of course, is uh, coming up later in the week with JT and Flo. They will be getting you ready for Match Day 7. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.